Welcome to Across the Margin, the podcast. I am your host, Michael Shields. Across the Margin, the podcast is a proud member of the Osiris Media Group. They have a whole slew of cool live events that are about to pop off. So head over to osirispod.com to learn more about that. In this episode, I present an interview with journalist, author, and acknowledged expert in American right-wing extremism, David Nywert. David has appeared on Anderson Cooper 360. CNN Newsroom, and The Rachel Maddow Show, and is the Pacific Northwest Correspondent for the Southern Poverty Law Center. His work has appeared at Mother Jones, The Washington Post, NBC.com, and many other publications. His previous books include Of Orcas and Men, What Killer Whales Can Teach Us, as well as And Hell Fouled With Her, Crossing the Dark Side of the American Border which was a National Books winner of the International Latino Book Award for General Nonfiction. Another one is Alt America, The Rise of the Radical Right in the Age of Trump. He has won a National Press Club Award for Distinguished Online Journalism and his latest book, entitled The Age of Insurrection, The Radical Right's Assault on American Democracy, is the focus of this episode. From a smattering of ominous right-wing compounds in the Pacific Northwest in the 1970s to the shocking January 6, 2021 insurrection at the U.S. Capitol, America has seen the culmination of a long-building war on democracy being waged by a fundamentally violent and anti-democratic far-right movement that unironically calls itself the Patriot Movement. So, how did we get here? In his book, David who has been following the rise of extremist groups since the late 1970s when he was a young reporter in Idaho, explores how the movement was built over decades, how it was set aflame by Donald Trump and his cohorts, and how it will continue to attack American democracy for the foreseeable future. David especially studies how the Pacific Northwest has long been a breeding ground of extremist violence. From the time when neo-Nazis migrated to the area from Southern California in the 70s, through the great battles in Portland and Seattle and neighboring towns over the last decade, laying out how these groups organize their terroristic violence and attacks on democratic institutions at every level, David details what their strategies and plans look like moving forward. So in this episode, David and I get to the bottom of exactly how dangerous the radical right is at this junction of American history. We break down the components of Trump's army while pondering how extremism has gone mainstream in a variety of ways. We talk about Steve Bannon's role internationally in spreading authoritarianism, how the police have been infiltrated by the radical right, how organized the alt-right attacks on democratic institutions at every level, including local, state, and federal targets are, and so much more. David's book is entirely eye-opening and important, and I have no doubt you will enjoy this interview with David Nywert. Cross the margin. Cross the margin. Cross the margin. Podcast. David, thank you so much for going on the program, uh, coming on the program, excuse me. I love the book. 
Learned a lot. Uh, super eye-opening in a lot of ways. So thank you for coming on. Always a pleasure. You are specifically suited to um, write this book. You've been you've been working in this field and researching this uh, for a long time, kind of uh, diving into this um, threat to democracy. Can you tell us a little bit about your experience um, covering the radical right? Well, uh, yeah, sure. I mean, my earliest exposure to it was in the late 70s uh, when I was working as a fledgling newspaperman up in the Idaho panhandle. And we had the folks uh, who became known as the Aryan nations uh, moving into that. Uh, they, they, I was up in a town called Sandpoint, which is a beautiful little town on Lake Ponderé up there. And uh, they moved on to, they bought a parcel down closer to Coeur d'Alene, uh, about 40 miles south of us. Uh, in a town called Hayden and around Hayden Lake. Mm -hmm. And it became known as the Hayden Lake Compound. And uh, and yeah, they renamed it the Aryan Nations and um, wow. it became a, a real center of the universe for uh, the white supremacist movement in the U.S. So wow. um, we tried to, <laughs> we thought we, we actually made the decision early on <laughs> I was I was the then twenty two year old editor of the the little daily paper there in Sandpoint, oh, wow. and uh, publisher and I sat down and made what we thought was the astute decision to uh, well we were going to to ignore them. Oh wow, wow! <laughs> we thought that uh, you know they just want attention and yeah. uh, want to shine and, a light on it too bright, you know. Yeah, yeah, you know they they're just begging for publicity, and we're not get give it to them, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And that was our, well, that, that, uh, the folly of that decision became pretty self-evident within a few years, uh, really within a, a couple of years. So the, the region became awash in um, this tide of hate crimes. It's a lot of the, the people that they were recruiting from elsewhere around the country started flooding into the area. And with them, they brought quite a wave of criminality. Uh, that culminated in, you know, mostly hate crimes, particularly aimed at, you know, Jewish businessmen, uh, mixed race couples and families, uh, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, it culminated, though, in, in 84, when the, the white supremacist gang that was based out of the Aryan Nations called The Order uh, went on this violent rampage. Wow. Uh, they robbed something like 23, 24 banks and armored cars and assassinated a radio talk show host in Denver uh, named Alan Berg. Mm -hmm. And they were finally cornered by the FBI over in uh, Whidbey Island, which is not where, far from where I live now. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, uh, and, you know, he engaged them in a standoff and they lobbed a flare into the house and burned it down around him. So he became a martyr for the white supremacist cause, who mm. is, you know, still they draw <laughs> gangs of uh, or groups of skinheads uh, and swastika wearers uh, out to Whidbey Island every every December to commemorate his martyrdom. Uh, I, did, I, did, I didn't know that. That's, a, that's yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they're not welcome in the community, but uh, they do show up. They show up regardless, yeah. Yeah, and um, 
So, you know, um, yeah, just take it from there. Um, yeah. It sounded, it sounded yeah like so the, and that was, you know, that was pretty early on. Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually, by then I had moved on to the paper in Twin Falls, mm -hmm. Idaho, which was further south. Mm -hmm. uh, but even down there, we had, you know, we had clan uh, cross burnings. And, and I got to tell you, as somebody who grew up in Southern Idaho, uh, I, we were immured in, right-wing far-right conspiracism right from the get-go because the john Burt society was incredibly powerful down there they had this really uh strong relationship with the lds church back in the 1960s mm -hmm. um and so it was very common for uh you know a lot of a lot of my friends dads would show me the the naked communist or mm -hmm. none dare call a conspiracy and say hey you should read this yeah no, yeah. um, that was, uh, yeah, yeah, Bircher conspiracism was a really common thing. So I grew up with a sort of immunity to it, right? Yep, yep. Um, and I was actually even recruited into the Birch Society when I was living up in Sandpoint, and I was the editor of the paper up there. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, so fortunately, my upbringing kind of, like I said, gave me a, a natural immunity to it. Um, but I will say that, uh, you know, I've been certainly aware of, I mean, uh, the Birch Society was a common thread, even though I got out of Southern Idaho and away from Mormon culture, when I was writing about uh, militiamen in, in Western Montana, for instance, these guys all had John Birch Society backgrounds as well. Mm -hmm. um, so the Birch Society was really a sort of founding influence for much of uh, the kind of right-wing extremism that, that we saw later develop into the, the militia movement, what we mm -hmm. call the militia movement. Mm -hmm. um, they call themselves the Patriot Movement. Mm -hmm. And the Patriot Movement is was, you know, one of the major factions involved in the January 6th insurrection. There's a long through line from, from this stuff that was happening in Idaho. Mm -hmm. In the 70s and 80s, that goes through the militia movement, that then goes through the Tea Party, that mm -hmm. then manifests itself in people in Donald Trump's politics and in the politics of the the organizations and the groups and the movements that were involved in the insurrection against the United States on January 6th. Yeah. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's it's great to read in the book too. You see kind of the evolution of things, and we'll get into all that as we move forward. I'm also just curious, a little one more background question: How many hours have you logged on far wing, uh, far far right wing websites, and how wild is it in there? I mean, because you you got to dig deep to to bring forth the knowledge that you brought forth in the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, since I, I I I left Daily Coast um, earlier this year. Mm -hmm. And so I'm no longer doing daily reportage. Um, I'm still monitoring a lot of stuff. Okay. I don't spend nearly as much time now <laughs> bet it's, bet as it's, I used to. And I got to tell you, it's it's yeah. been just a huge relief. I'm sure. Not to be doing this because I've, I've often told people that, you know, doing this line of work is like being the sewer maintenance guy. Yes. You're swimming through shit every day. Yeah. No question. And, Got to be super disheartening too. Just just read these things and 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 see what some of these things people are believing. And see some of the hate too. Well, the more disheartening thing is you know that it's continued to spread despite you know my efforts to expose yeah. it. 
Yeah. And into the mainstream. And as, as, as you point out in your thing. So I think it's interesting to talk about, um, you know, who we're talking about, because there's kind of you lay out the the components of Trump's army uh, in your book and, you know, just who are um, we dealing with here? And I guess we could uh, speak to who, you know, who are the components on that that fateful day on on, on one six. Right. Well, th- th- that's and that's sort of the key to the book is that. Yeah. And I realized that the movements and the organizations and the people that are um, really involved in sort of what I consider an on-running uh, insurrection against the United States yeah. democratic institutions um, were all present there on January sixth, mm-hmm. um, and they've and essentially, you know, I'm arguing that they continue to to organize and do their best to hollow out and 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 harm democracy damage democracy you know their their intention is to replace it with an autocratic system sort of like the one that uh, yeah i mean just to, yesterday elon musk tweeted out a, a tweet admiring sulla the roman dictator Unbelievable. Uh, you know which is you know that really is Testament to, I think, this um, growing taste for authoritarian autocracy, yeah. Yeah. and um, and so uh, so I'm you know very concerned that this stuff is actually gaining favor with some people, who you know very happy to dispose of democracy because they consider it outmoded, um, and so yeah, uh, you know the the people who are. Um, doing a lot of this the people who were there on january 6th mm-hmm. um basically i identified six different components yep. mm-hmm. the patriot movement is probably the largest and and most important but uh secondarily there are these the street fighting gangs like the proud boys mm-hmm. uh and then third there are white nationalists yep. Yep. there was a large contingent of white nationalists there mm-hmm um conspiracy theorists and uh then of course the kind of mainstream enablers the people who are both within congress and within the media who have both who both um enabled it on january 6th and have continued afterwards to to justify it and mainstream what went on then you know to to sort of rationalize yeah to 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 normalize it and you know oh it was just a it was just they got out of hand oh they were like tourists you know um you know uh, yeah you speak of you just mentioned it with elon too and i think this is a good place to even take it right now there's um you know this appetite to kind of um uh dispose of democracy and you you know you mentioned that no authoritarian regime has ever existed without a substantial um, you know, portion of the population, it rules actively supporting and preferring it. I just, I just, yeah. it's kind of hard to figure out. And you touch on a lot of reasons why I'd love to hear you speak on it. Tell us some about why these followers could support such a thing as authoritarianism. It's just, it, it's hard to make sense of sometimes. Well, it's certainly an alien thing, I think, to anyone who's ra- been raised in uh, under liberal democracy in yeah. our, yeah. to, to, sort of wrap our heads around because um it is actually uh very antithetical to the way 
we think. And but but it is a fact that authoritarian personalities exist within you know uh, every society, including ours. Mm -hmm. uh, generally speaking, they constitute you know around maybe twenty percent of the um, of the populace and. They don't always express themselves as you know innately autocratic or, or, um, or you know have fascist. <laughs> yeah. You know that's not uh, necessarily how they're going to express themselves or manifest themselves. Yeah. Um, but it's it's kind of a natural trait. It's basically this rever instant reversion to um, having. Uh, simplifying everything, sort of cutting the Gordian knot with a single blow, mm -hmm. uh, sort of approach to politics, where you just have the powerful ruler who takes charge of everything and gets rid of all the nonsensical all the messing around that makes everything else seem so damned in inefficient, right? Mm -hmm. And it seems more efficient, especially to someone who doesn't actually understand how societies work down at the small level this okay. is sort of a macro political solution and it's always disastrous yeah. Uh, yeah i mean ultimately autocracies i think have been proven through the centuries mm -hmm. uh to be dysfunctional mm -hmm. uh, certainly i don't think the autocracies that ruled <laughs> europe for for most of its existence mm -hmm. um did so effectively you know Otherwise, they they have survived longer. Um, and and oh, go on, go on, please. Liberal please. and liberal democracy has really proved itself over the two hundred and fifty years that it's been in America to be flexible enough to um, change at the times and to uh, rec you know to in empower ordinary people enough that they feel that they have at least some control of their lives. Right, which is, I think, an essential component of of the psychology of a free society. But in an autocratic society, people want to uh, they want to forego all that mm. uh, for the sake of security yeah. and efficiency. Um, you know, the authoritarian personalities basically are comprised of these three uh, behavioral nodes that. Uh, that are pretty well known. Uh, the first is authoritarian uh, aggression. I'm sorry, authoritarian compliance, mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. where you basically, or I'm sorry, authoritarian submission, where you uh, submit to the rule of the wise great leader. Mm -hmm. And then there's authoritarian aggression, which is aggression directed at anyone who fails to comply. And then finally, there's conventionalism. That's the the uh, this idea that they represent the real America. Yeah, that yeah. Uh, you know they 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 are the ordinary, average people. And those three traits combine to create a whole list of um, pretty interesting qualities, including you know uh, susceptibility to conspiracism, high tolerance for. Uh, displays of bigotry, if not active involvement in it themselves. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, this is essentially the, the uh, a lot of the things that we're seeing manifest themselves now are 
products of the interactions, you know, the rise in authoritarian personalities. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is, is that you can actually, people can be induced to uh, resorting to, you know, sort of pulling, going into an authoritarian mode Mm -hmm. uh, by, uh, by certain external uh, uh, stimulus especially fear-mongering fear-mongering yeah fear-mongering does a really powerful job of driving people into sort of an an authoritarian personality mode and um you know it's uh so and that's one of the main reasons that you know of course i started seeing this uh the this what i would call an authoritarian response uh, manifesting in the early 2000s Uh, in the wake of 9-11. Yeah. Um, but it really took root in a toxic way, in a really profoundly toxic way that empowered extremism um, during the Tea Party years. Yeah. Uh, after, yeah. after President, after Barack Obama. Barack, was, I was going to say when Obama got yeah, elected, things, things definitely heightened at that point, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, Trump was a reaction against that. Yeah, absolutely. Let me go right there because, like, if, you know, it's really hard for me and a lot of us to understand kind of how people would bow down to this authoritarianism. Another thing, you know, I live in New York City. We all know Donald Trump very well. Um, you know, it was noted in your book that fascism needs that glorious leader. You just mentioned the term. It's just mind blowing to a lot of us that that's him. You know that 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 you know these people would lay down their life, go to jail for him on January sixth and afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the answer to that and is, you know, he is willing to do their bidding. How would how would you explain it to us that still, after all these years, still grapple with, you know, that that's their guy? Well, as you know, the the reality of who Donald Trump is, yeah. is very much at variance with this image that they've created of him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, they've mythologized him, and sure and that's because the glorious leader always has to have a kind of mythical status, and yeah. he's done his very damnedest to encourage that sort of mythologizing. He's that's that's actually been the uh, secret to his success is that he's he's uh, he has created a narrative for people that is built on this mythology of the glorious leader. Mm-hmm. And that he is the guy, uh, and he's really created his. He's done a. He's done an incredible job of creating this sort of mythical status, uh, built out of you know his TV image. Yeah. Um, fortunately, I never watched uh, <laughs> The Apprentice, but no I, 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 I'm not a fan <laughs> of reality TV anyway. Yes. <laughs> Couple good seasons here and there. Let me um, like to kind of get right to it. How dangerous. Do you feel the radical right is at this moment? You, you have that moment, which is really interesting, where um, it was during the Charlie Kirk uh, uh, was Charlie Kirk was on stage and someone asked mm-hmm. him, you know, when do we get to use the guns? You actually you know, named a chapter of that. And, you know, you hear this talk of a civil war when this comes up mm-hmm. and, and they're yearning for it. How um, how extreme is the radical right? Well, I, I do think that there's going to be some kind of an explosion of violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, like coming down the road, they are really building up for it. They're building it up in their heads. Yeah. Uh, they're talking about it constantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really what a lot of the, the ongoing 
uh, agitation against the transgender community is about. Yeah, is, sure. you know, they look. They have to have an enemy. Mm. The key to the right wing mentality is that they mm. see themselves as heroes. Yep. Right. They see themselves as heroic. They yep. they watch hero movies. They watch action films, and they want desperately to be heroes themselves. So, but heroes have to have an enemy. That's that's what defines a hero. Is it that they have to have something to fight against, some some evil, nefarious force to fight against. And so they frequently concoct it. I mean, the one previous to, um, you know, transgender folk was, you know, of course, there was critical race theory going on. But but even before that, it was Antifa. And I spent quite a bit of time discussing how Hopefully, they so. concocted this whole uh, boogeyman yep. around mm-hmm. Uh, uh, anti-fascist, the anti-fascist movement, which is really a pretty small faction in the sure. U.S. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's, but but this is what they've always done, yeah. and yeah, yeah uh, uh, creating an enemy uh, out of whole cloth is what they've actually always specialized in doing. Yeah, uh, create all, the other. Create the other. Well, and, and so the references to Democrats as communists, which you still see bandied about quite a bit, of course, goes back to the 1950s, and uh, but it's the, and that's the original impulse mm-hmm. is that it, this has been going around for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, and it's just it's built out of the same same conspiratorial um, fear mongering and uh, you know basically. Uh, th- these are highly um, highly complex smear campaigns is what yeah. they are. Yeah, now, yeah. If, you know, underlying them is still the basic anti-Semitism mm-hmm. that underlie underlay all these uh, conspiracy uh, conspiracist alternative universes dating back through the past two centuries. Um, you know, you hear Ron DeSantis even today talking about cultural Marxism, yeah, which yeah. is just uh, <laughs> another iteration of the uh, Protocols of the Seven Elders of Zion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. mm-hmm. It's the same anti-Semitic crap that yep. we've been hearing for over. Absolutely. No question. Do you feel that DeSantis is kind of safe to assume he fits in that same authoritarian um mold. yeah well right yeah there. he's even he, he's even worse in that he's yes he's, um although I, I think he's much less charismatic than trump sure um so i don't think he's quite as dangerous as trump in that regard yep Absolutely. he doesn't have that telegenic presence by any means he's kind of an annoying nevish on tv to tell you the truth <laughs> yeah yeah some some cringeworthy moments for sure Luckily, yeah so there's but, been like, but, but, but he's also smarter in terms of done. and and establishing policies and doing establishing policies that are they're actually profoundly authoritarian Definitely. and profoundly anti-democratic. I mean, yep. he's done these blatantly unconstitutional has these blatantly unconstitutional laws that still are even though the courts have ruled that they're unconstitutional, they're still on the books. You know, mm-hmm. it's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, he scares me a little, little, little more in certain ways because he does get things done and push things through in a in a major way. Um, you know, you talked about how strategic some of this is, but the, you know, you really get into how there's this very organized attacks on democratic institutions at every level at this point. This is mm-hmm. kind of where it's going, and you know, the, the yeah. how things are evolving, including local, state, and federal ta- targets. So. Right. 
um you know it's 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 intense how how they're getting in and every level and can you tell us about that some and kind of how th- where things are going in that way yeah I, I think that's actually maybe the most worrisome part of all this is yeah. that they are uh after january 6th they decided to sort of do a much more diffuse mm-hmm. uh, uh approach a sort of strategic approach that involved uh, spreading out into local entities, uh, t- taking over local school boards, harassing library boards and um, and health boards, you know, uh, basically taking the the strategy from a national one to a hyper local one, mm-hmm. and then and hollowing out democratic institutions at the local level. And then, you know, moving up from there, because they're also attacking state legislatures and city councils and and things like that. And ultimately, the the objective is to take over these governmental entities and, you know, replace all of whatever democratic content there may have been with their autocratic agenda. And we're actually seeing this happen right now in Idaho, in my home state. Uh, yeah, I think the state is gradually being taken over uh, by these autocratic far-right Republicans mm-hmm. uh, because the Republican Party in the state has become closely enmeshed with white nationalist elements Yeah, um, that are – it's it's really troubling. Um, you know, the governor is, is a Republican, but he's a moderate uh, compared to these guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he's – He's just an old George W. Bush type Republican instead of um, classic Republican instead of, a, you know, yeah, instead of a, uh, a Trumpist. But yeah. the people who are actually controlling the GOP in Idaho now are not just, um, you know, Bircherite conspiracists, um, but they're also there's also a major faction involved that's, uh, you know, basically overt white nationalist over you know ex neo-nazis who moved to the state just like they did back in the 1980s uh-huh. uh from southern california and are taking over the state and basically chasing everybody else out including long times i mean half my family has left really it's 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 become dangerous wow for anybody with even moderate i mean yeah moderate political leanings um out if you're not one of them wow it's yeah yeah Uh, i go back four generations there and it's heartbreaking to see that's awful so this Mm -hmm. this 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 kind of um you know there's there's a larger movement to spread authoritarianism around the world that's pointed out in your book too obviously putin's a big part of it i was really surprised about learning um that steve bannon was actually traveling to Europe to spread ideas and, and discuss this. Um, can you talk a little bit about that? Cause I just, that was, I, I did not know about that and kind of this idea that this is spreading everywhere. Yeah. Uh, well, so Bannon is part of, Bannon has always been, I think, closely aligned with what I would call the, the global far right uh, takeover movement. Yeah. And yeah, a global, uh, you know, this, and there, you know, there's heavily financed by Russian oligarchs, mm-hmm. uh, sponsored by Vladimir Putin and mm-hmm. uh, many others. Uh, but, you know, you see these 
uh, autocratic states popping up in Hungary and in Turkey and in the Philippines and in um, Myanmar, mm-hmm. you know, all, all around the world. Uh, and they actually are all ideological participants in the same sort of um, far right politics as well, right? Yeah. And yeah. particularly, um, you, you know, Hungary and places like that. But it's also, you see movements within Europe uh, in places like uh, uh, Germany where the AFD, the Alternative for Deutschland Party, mm-hmm. um, is is very ascendant, uh, you know, and, and definitely making waves over there. And they're, they're just you know, this far away from being overtly fascist. And, um, and there, you know, you're seeing similar far right ascendancy in places like Sweden mm-hmm. and, um, and other countries in Italy, uh, of course, most recently had, yeah, yeah. now has a, a prime minister who's descended from a fascist party. Yeah. So, um, you know, and, so there has been, and, and Bannon has been a player in all this. Uh, he, especially during the years when actually after he left Trump's inner circle and was sort of out there on his own uh, initially, one of his main things was to tour the, uh, not just Europe, but I mean, he went down to Australia, mm. um, did the same tour down there. Um, he wasn't welcomed to New Zealand, as it happens. Good on New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, good on New Zealand. Um, and you know, there's, um, but basically, yeah, he he's gone all around the world and done sort of organized these um, populist far right factions yeah, into yeah. A cohesive movements, and the and then that also makes them networked with each other globally. Um, that's really a very dangerous situation and and movement, especially in a day and age when, you know, you look at where at the nexus of this movement and it is Moscow, it is the Kremlin. And, uh, and I, you know, we see what is coming out of there (laughs) Uh, in terms of, you know, the massacres in, in Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, not just, you know, it's, uh, an invasion without any reason just a a naked act of aggression um and yeah constantly they're constantly gaslighting their own citizens about you know the costs of that war yeah the cost and the reason yeah so um i think that's that's the future they they have in mind for all the rest of us international web really uh really Is, is, is nerve-wracking um i want to talk ask about the police here because uh i know it's sometimes controversial to talk about but i think it's super important i've been lucky yeah. to have joanna uh schwartz on who wrote shielded amazing book alex vitale wrote end of uh policing really informative i i also love that you named the chapter after the rage against machine song the, uh you know with those that work forces so you've done a lot of research on this and obviously yeah. people talk about the fact that there is um, white supremacy within police forces and certain police forces. There's yeah. nationalism. They've shown there was cops at uh, January 6th. There's cops and the Oath Keepers. Um, can you tell us what you've learned through your research uh, about the police and what we're talking about, the far right? 
Sure. Well, you know, I mean, I should preface this by saying, noting that for many years, when I was a, a news reporter, I was doing cops and courts. Mm-hmm. I dealt with cops all the time. I've always had pretty friendly, friendly yeah. relations with cops mm-hmm. myself, for the most part. Um, I've always been unintimidated by them, yeah. so uh, I have find them easy to talk to. Yeah. Uh, at least ha- have up until I would say the last decade or so, yeah. and I've just seen this, but. It, but honestly, I started seeing these trends back in the 80s mm-hmm. uh, when they started doing what I would call the professionalization of of our police forces. And increasingly, I just found that cops were being trained to see themselves as separate from their communities. Yep, not a uh, part they, of they weren't, The beat cop walking the street wasn't your neighbor anymore. It was some dude who lived somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And he didn't see himself as being part of your community. Absolutely. He saw himself as being above that community. Absolutely. And, and this ethos really crept into uh, police departments all around the country. And um, and it's also a fundamentally authoritarian sort of worldview or uh, ethos uh, where you know we're in charge of you huh? yeah, instead yeah. of being part of you. Yep. You know, being being part of the communities that they're supposed to be serving and protecting. Yeah. And uh, it really came home to roost. I thought, uh, you know, I mean, it's manifested itself a long time over the years uh, with racist policing. But also increasingly, I saw beginning in the 90s and continuing into the 2000s, um, a real f- refusal to for accountability, you know, a real resistance to accountability um, for this. Uh, people, they didn't, in addition to seeing themselves being above the community, they, they, the part of that mentality was that the community could not hold them accountable for their own bad behavior. Um, and this really became rampant in police forces, especially as the the whole thin blue line mentality uh, continued to uh, to grow. And you know, it's it's really kind of reached ahead uh, with the uh, with Black Lives Matter and the pushback against the racist policing that is finally you know taking root in the country. And it's not a surprise that they find. BLM incredibly threatening and call them, you know, a hate group and terrorists and everything else. And, and of course, they're nothing, none of that. Absolutely. Uh, they're, they're just people demanding accountability for racist policing. Exactly. Um, but, but this is definitely part of the, the far right narrative is that, you know, these, these attempts to create accountability for police are, um, are you know part of what's bad wrong with America, right? And so police have become quite uh, naturally uh, sympathetic with or willing to listen to a lot of these far right elements because they spout the same, you know, they they support them. Yeah, they have our backs. Mm-hmm. And so I really saw this manifest itself um, after. 2017, when when we started seeing protests in the streets involving uh, Proud Boys, and, you know, these street fighting elements, uh, Patriot Prayer. Portland, the 104 days in Portland you go deep into, which is yeah. important to look at. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then, of course, it yeah, it really came home then finally during the George Floyd riots. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That was when we had the 100 days of, of protests in Portland. Yeah. Prior to that, we I was really seeing the um, police behaving in, I mean, basically these Proud Boys things, events were far right thugs from who did not live in Portland mm-hmm. or Seattle or Olympia, wherever it was that they were holding their protests, San Francisco in some cases, mm-hmm. who were coming from um, all around the region, coming mostly from exurbs and, and rural areas and some of the suburbs, um, you know, driving frequently driving long distances to participate in these um, these so-called, you know, they called them free speech events initially, uh, where they were just, you know, basically they were attempts to create scenes of violence in these urban liberal centers in which they would, you know, hold up, ooh, the evil Antifa as this bogeyman that uh, is threatening America, you know, and the source of all the violence. Because, the, the frankly, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, anti-fascists were the only people showing up to protest their presence. Um, now, that wasn't the case in some of the earliest ones where I actually saw in Portland, at least initially, you know, the first Patriot Prayer event had a massive turnout from thousands of citizens, ordinary yeah. citizens. So there was a big uh, mother's mother's moment one time where they all came out. To yeah. Us as well. Yeah. 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 Like and that was definitely the case during the George Floyd riots as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and so, yeah, the the, the moms brigade in yeah. during in twenty twenty was yeah. was another example of that. Yeah. Um, but it was it was it's a lot of why the far right's been able to succeed in creating this uh, narrative about a radical, you know, a, a violent far right antifa is because they've more or less seeded uh, the field. You know, a lot of the field has been seeded during many of these events when Absolutely. when the the mainstream community did not show up yeah and the only people who did were anti-fascist absolutely and so um and you know more power to them i will say the other thing the it, that anti-fascists did was they exposed the identities of a lot of these uh, neo-nazis sure uh, and yep. the, you know something that's not been that they've got not gotten nearly enough credit for yeah, yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, the, the the way police behaved was um extremely troubling. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's become incredibly clear, increasingly clear that there are that the everyday police ranks now are really have a significant component of um right-wing extremists and white nationalists within their ranks. Yeah, that's and that's and we're gonna ha- continue having and you know, and they're going to be a problem when these these uh, little mini insurrections happen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we already saw, you know, we already saw during January sixth yeah. that there were some FBI agents and there were some uh, metropolitan police officers the other way who who looked the other way and were actually sympathetic to the the rioters. So. Absolutely. Um, so it's so important. This is why I think your book's so important. It's, it's just so comprehensive. It, it exposes things that we need to be talking about. It's, it's, it's just, it's, that's just such a big part of it to me, letting people know the truth, really talking about with all this misinformation out there, books like this are so important. I was curious kind of, to, you know, bring us home here. 
if you had any thoughts about how else we can kind of combat this this these problems laid out in your books or just any thoughts there as we I mean, it's, 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 things seem pretty intense when you, especially after you finish reading your book, it's yeah daunting, but you know, it's the, the, I you know, you still hold hope that truth will win out and then, you know, good will win and empathy will win and common yeah. sense will win eventually. But I was curious if you had any thoughts about moving forward, um, you know, the right way. Well, it's, it's a, it's a terrible conundrum because, um, you know, how do you deal with, basically the reality that um a significant portion of the country that the the portion of the country that's supposed to provide the sort of should be providing a sort of common sense uh counterbalance to progressive impulses mm-hmm. uh is has instead gone completely off the deep end yeah and uh, is has become not just um a threat to democracy, but you know they they are openly <laughs> campaigning to to overthrow it. Sure, uh, th- th- which means that they're no longer reliable participants in that d- democracy. Yeah. How do you treat people who you can't trust anymore yeah. to participate in this democracy mm-hmm. on a good faith basis? Yeah. How do you how do you treat them? Mm-hmm. Uh, do we do we? I mean. I mean, obviously, the first step is to vote them out of power as much as possible yes. and and shun them to the farthest corners of the political fringes. But that's a lot easier said than done, especially when you have uh, corporate media out there, especially Fox News and others, who are openly rooting for and, and distributing this disinformation. I mean, they had a cry out on Fox last night that referred to Biden as a as a wannabe dictator. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. Um I mean how do you deal with that? Yep. How do we how do we have a rapprochement mm-hmm. with people who want to do you in? You know, that's yeah. yeah. So um so how do we build those bridges? I don't think there's any easy answers. I think the first step has to be for people on the liberal side to find a way to convince their right-wing neighbors and friends no i i'm I'm really not an existential threat i'm just an ordinary nice person who just (laughs) thinks differently than you yep Yep. you know Mm -hmm. that that no we're not trying to groom children (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know that that Mm -hmm. we're as we're as offended by groomers as anyone uh this is why we take the catholic priests so much more seriously than we do drag queens Uh, yes exactly (laughs) you know exactly yep uh, but um but yeah. that's that's so part of at home and, and local the, i think yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. um i mean it, it does in some regards but God, that's that's really slow yeah. and i don't know that there's a, a mass media i mean it, obviously having if 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 we had some kind of actual liberal media mm-hmm. out there uh instead of um what we have, which is sort of corporate centrist media, yeah. um, uh, is the best we have. Yeah. Um, then, if we actually had a liberal media that could counterbalance the right wing media, that would probably be a good start. Yeah. Uh, but the, unfortunately, there's no left wing sugar daddies who want to finance. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah Left wing media, but there's plenty of right wing sugar daddies who are more than happy 
to finance disinformation machines uh, of a, a gazillion different stripes, which is what we're we're awash in right now. Well, I thank you so much. This is, I mean, I find your book absolutely crucial. And like I said, it's, it's very comprehensive. You, you go into all the angles. You helped me understand some of the people that that I've been having a hard time understanding. Um, you know, just just it's just mind boggling, some of the stuff. And it really, really was enlightening. And uh, I appreciate the chance to talk to you today about it. So thank you so much, David. Hey, it's been my pleasure. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. Osiris is creating a community that connects people like you with live experiences and podcasts about artists and topics you love. Get in the loop at osirispod.com.